0: Hello there, dear listeners. Before we get to the episode today, we want to take a moment to talk about the June 24th Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. This decision stripped away the right and access to safe and legal abortions in many states. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all Americans. And they're already talking about using this decision to attack other rights as well. To learn more about what you can do to help, go to choice.crd.co. We encourage you to speak up, take care, and spread the word. And now, back to your regularly scheduled idiocy.
1: I'm Grim. I'm Zolgar. That's Kaiju. And this is Two Idiots and a Dog, Idiots on Film, where we explore movies that we love or think are important for pop culture. This week, we're
0: taking a look at The Meg. So, we chose The Meg because, well, first of all, I'm a sucker for shark movies. I really am. I love them all. Even the the really terrible ones. No, I can't say I love them all. There are a few I don't like. We'll get into that another time. And... It was a toss-up between The Meg and Jaws. Because, you know, Jaws is the classic, iconic shark movie that created the genre for us. But there's a lot about Meg that it does better. And also, Grimm had never seen The Meg, so I kind of wanted to make him see it. But first, a word from our sponsors. Hey,
1: Zulgar, we should start thinking about the future of Two Idiots and a Dog. We should, but that takes effort. And we are just a couple of idiots.
0: We shouldn't be allowed to decide anything. You got a great idea. Let's suck our listeners into doing the thinking for us. Okay, but how would that work? Simple. Listener survey. That's so stupid, it might just work. If you like what we do, we would love to hear your thoughts on the future of Two Idiots and a Dog. We've put together a listener survey, less than 20 questions about the future of the project. All questions are optional, and we don't collect any personal information. It should only take a few minutes of your time, and you can help make Two Idiots and a Dog better. You can find a link to the survey in the description of this episode. You can also find it on our social media pages and Discord server. Oh, shut up.
1: You liked it. I mean, technically, I never said I liked it. You liked it. I said it was one of three shark movies I don't hate. You liked it. (laughs) I did, actually. The Meg was was pretty good. It solved a lot of the problems I have with the shark genre in general, which, ironically enough, are some of the same problems that he enjoys.
0: Uh, I've said it before, but it's worth noting that for me... Shark movies are comedy. They're, they are just so ridiculous and over-the-top, I can't help but laugh at them. It's, it's why I watch them.
1: Yeah, they're they're his Looney Tunes. Exactly. And... That's fine, but it doesn't mean I'm not going to give him crap about it. <laughs> that's it. The Meg was good. I did enjoy it. I generally don't enjoy shark movies. Like I said, this is only the third one that I didn't hate that I've seen. Important disclaimer. And part of what really made it work for me is use and subversion of tropes.
0: Yeah, there are there are a lot of tropes that are just inherent with this genre. If you watch shark movies, there are certain things you come to expect. And this delivers on everything that's required, but it subverts a lot of things. And it it approaches it approaches it from the perfect level of taking itself just serious enough to seem like a almost plausible movie, but not taking itself too seriously. And it's genre-aware
1: and savvy enough to, to in-universe, remark on these occurrences, for the most part. There are a... And even the the tropes negative what I call a negative trope, which is a trope of something that is not necessarily great to have in a movie or a story, even when those are deployed here, they're still quasi subverted I mean well, let's just get the t- the the two main ones out of the way here. Our first major named character who dies is a Asian person, so we have a person of color dying first. But Toshi's death was his choice. He had agency in the moment. And what happens is they're, This is well into the movie, not super deep in, but part of our our main crisis has started at this point. And they're getting the crew of this downed submersible onto another submersible so they can get out while they're being chased and attacked by this megalodon. And he makes the choice. He looks at the situation, the shark's going to get there before they get everybody on board, he closes the hatch, he seals it, which jettisons the other submersible away, and then he turns all of the lights on in his submersible to attract the shark so it will attack him and everybody else can get away. Most of the time, these flagrant deaths of a person of color, whether it's the 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 Asian character you know, Chinese Japanese Korean they've all been represented in the genre at one point or another Toshi in this instance is Japanese or they're black
0: or they're they're those are the ones you really mostly see in shark in shark movies specifically you don't see a lot of others in shark movies as much
1: yeah. And usually those deaths happen because it's either either it comes out of nowhere or someone else triggers it
0: yeah it's it's usually a oh, this is what tells us that there's something going on is suddenly the black guy dies, yeah,
1: so while it's still not great that our our first major named death is a Japanese character. He had agency in the moment, and if you are a person of color, particularly a Japanese person, who disagrees with our assessment of this being, for lack of a better term, passing, you're valid. And while we also acknowledge you don't need our validation, we as a production still want to respect your view on this. The other trope, negative trope as I like to call them, that we see is Damsel in Distress, but even though we have these. Women in positions of distress. Uh, it's it's not. There are equal moments where male characters are in distress and need saving, and the the most obvious one is there's a scene where Suyin, who is our primary female character in this, and the daughter of the Chinese researcher who basically runs the facility. She's a competent capable intelligent woman and the few choices she makes that turns out to be incredibly for lack of a better term wrong are still made with all of the the right intentions like there's a scene where she just takes a vehicle and dives down to try to save them herself because well now they're leaking oxygen and they're going to die in like an hour and a half instead of the 18 hours they had to plan a proper rescue and she i believe her phrasing was something to the effect of just straight up we have to try something we have to do something and off she goes so i want to be clear this character is a very capable competent character right yeah she's
0: she she knows what she is doing and she she doesn't screw things up yeah uh so there's a very the
1: the most egregious damsel in distress moment is her in a shark cage being attacked by the megalodon. And it goes very wrong. But she made the choice to get into that cage. She is shown as being competent while she's in that cage. And despite everything going horribly wrong, she completes her objective, which is to shoot the creature with a toxin that ultimately kills it. So while she still needs rescuing by the our other main character, Jonas, played by Jason Statham, it's not a she's this helpless female character in constant need of saving, so much as we have a lot of competent female characters in this movie. And situations arise where they need to be rescued, just as situations arise where men need to be rescued. But because no movie exists in a vacuum, we still have to acknowledge that even though these characters are given agency and competency, it's still pretty much damsel in distress.
0: The, the one other one that does need to be addressed is DJ. So DJ is the only black guy in the movie, at least, or, or sorry, I should rephrase. He is the only major black guy in the movie. We, we see a couple others, but they're, they're very brief. He, he's the, yeah, he's pretty much the black guy on the crew. And so we do subvert the trope of him dying. He does, he does not die. He survives the movie. Mm-hmm. But he's, he's kind of a coward it's kind of played up as the, 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 you know, the big tough black guy is the coward. Now, in this movie, it's it's somewhere between being a coward and just being sensible enough to realize that this is a really stupid situation that is really dangerous, and they are way out of their league. Yeah. But, again, because nothing exists in a vacuum, it does kind of sit... It sits a little bit wrong with me, personally.
1: Yeah, and... and... Despite him, this being the trope, or at least trope adjacent, it does present DJ as, in my opinion, the only sane one
0: on that station. Well, yeah, that that is for sure.
1: And I think that's a that's a great segue for us to to get into some of the characters here because we're talking about them with these tropes, and we haven't really told anybody who these people are. Yeah, so we're gonna we we're gonna start off with uh because she is in so many of these
0: scenes and and at the crux of a lot of this i do want to start with suyin so she is played by i I may botch the pronunciation of this ding ding lee yeah and she hasn't done a whole lot
1: since this movie so i don't know what's up with that but she was great in it and she is the in character she is the daughter of the elderly chinese gentleman who runs this research station
0: dr zhang or Zhang,
1: and also the mother of the only child character in the movie who is a main character
0: yeah and like like we expressed she is very competent in what she does she is intelligent she is sensible but she is not beyond emotion but at the same time she's not the emotional outburst character Yeah,
1: and we're going to be dipping a little bit back in the trope territory as we discuss these characterizations and characters, because they kind of go hand-in-hand for some of this. Like, there's an early sequence where we appear to be set up for Suyin to be the B T M TM character. And then immediately they veer off of it.
0: Yeah, right at the beginning, she lays into Jonas because...
1: Well, Toshi didn't come back. Yeah. That's someone she knew, and she feels that he was left, even though Toshi made his choice. And then she realizes, oh, well, that was not cool of me. And she goes and she actually apologizes. And that sets off her and Jason Statham's character, Jonas, starting to actually build a rapport throughout the movie. We have Jonas, who is played, as I stated, by Jason Statham. And he is, in the prologue, shown to be a competent rescue diver. The prologue is him and a small team rescuing a damaged submarine of some kind. Never really stated what kind of submarine it
0: is. Though, I think they were military uniforms on the people they were pulling out? Yeah,
1: Military uniforms are at least military adjacent.
0: And it is during this time that...
1: We are introduced to the concept of Here, There, Be Monsters.
0: Yeah, he's on this ship, and suddenly something hits the side of it, and we basically see a bite mark appear on the side of the submarine.
1: Yeah, and to be clear, this mean, this bite mark is not penetrating. The bulkhead holds, but it starts to crumple like a car hood in a crash. And if you know how thick and durable those external hulls are on a sub like I do, that was an eye-opening, oh my, moment.
0: And also, you know that that means that sub is not much longer for this world, because if there is a weakness in that hole, the pressure is going to cause huge problems.
1: Yeah, so they get out, and the other two characters that he were on the sub with him to rescue people are trapped, and he makes the tough call.
0: He seals hatch and leaves with the people that already pulled off that sub. Yeah, because if they don't, they're all going to die.
1: Yeah, and because of that choice, he is penalized for this, and it basically ends his career. Yeah, he, he gets labeled as crazy. Nothing that big could exist. Nothing that strong could exist. Clearly, you you suffered under the strain and. They, they they throw some sort of pseudo medical term for it.
0: Did he, did they say nitrogen narcosis?
1: No, it okay. wasn't. It wasn't that. It was some form of psychosis. Okay, like a temporary stress pressure induced psychosis. But I don't remember the exact term. Where basically he made a judgment and error because he was under the delusion that there was something out there. Granted, all I... of that's implied. By the way, they never specifically state that it was delusion. Just that they just refer to him as crazy and stuff
0: that can actually happen
1: to divers though it can nitrogen narcosis is no joke yeah there's all sorts of things related to diving that you need to be very careful about because if one tiny thing is out of alignment you basically turn into an actual crazy person for a while if you're lucky
0: i think you got to be crazy to dive hi mom and dad
1: we have A lot of other characters to run through. I'm going to try to get through as many as I can without taking up too much time on them because we actually have a significant cast. Yeah. We have Toshi, the Japanese
0: man, played by Masioka. Most known for playing Hiro Nakamura on
1: Heroes. Yep. I haven't seen him in anything in a while because uh, apparently he's been doing television that I just don't watch. Yeah. Good he, for him.
0: He played, had a fairly major reoccurring role in Hawaii 5
1: So we've got DJ, the tall black man.
0: Played by Paige Kennedy.
1: Who, to be clear, while he has come portrayed kind of as a little bit of a coward, it's a completely reasonable and rational cowardice because, all right, uh, I am not one to shy away from destroying monsters, but if I'm in the water on a boat and I see a megalodon, I'm out.
0: And also, DJ is... he's a lab guy. DJ's job is piloting the remote vehicles. So he sits in a lab and plays with RC toys. Yeah. Yeah. And he actually has
1: a line to that effect of of how, you know, this is why I don't leave the station. We're not supposed to leave the station. None of this was in the job description. And he's not wrong. Yeah. It's it's quasi-hysterical ranting when he's saying this, but nothing he says is factually incorrect. We've got Su-Yan's daughter, Mei-Ying, who is one of the few child characters I have ever seen in a movie like this that I didn't hate.
0: Yeah, she is... She's an excellent character, they very rarely use her as a as a plot device, because so often the kid would be, oh, the kid did something really stupid, and now we have to go rescue them, and that doesn't happen here. Yeah, as a matter of
1: fact, we're given the appearance of her needing to be rescued a couple of times, but she's
0: never actually in danger. Yeah, the closest to real danger she's in is at the end of the movie, she falls into the water with everyone else, but... The Meg is well distracted and she's actually calming DJ down because DJ can't swim and he is, understandably, freaking out because he's in the water with a Megalodon. And he can't swim. And he can't swim.
1: And yeah, so she's talking to him, calming down, like, you're wearing a life jacket? Okay, yeah, life vest, life vest. But it's not... Everything she does makes perfect sense for a kid and she's got some really good dialogue moments as well. Uh, Her interplay with jason statham's character is great because very early in once they get past that initial mutually bad first impressions of each other the movie does a good job of trying to set su yin and jonas up and this isn't just the plot narration setting it up there are multiple crew members kind of planting the idea and and in. in, in each person's head that these two should hook up which brings us great segue to mac who is an old friend of jonas
0: and he's played by cliff curtis and i, I love this character
1: mac is the world's greatest wingman yeah yeah so when Suyin goes to apologize to jonas she actually interrupts him in the shower and he answers the door wearing a towel and she just walks past him without looking because she's kind of embarrassed about her earlier behavior when she Tore his head off over Toshi, so she's starting to her apology without looking at him. Turns around and was like, "And you're naked," and it turns into this equally awkward moment where she's really like, "Okay, I interrupted something. You're not wearing clothes. Oh my god!" And also, she kind of likes what she's seeing, but they don't play it up. They there are so many movies that would have played that scene up even more than what we saw. Not to mention the role reversal of the one being sexed up in this case is the male character.
0: I mean, it's Statham, so...
1: Yeah, i Okay, so... <clears throat> as a queer person, I liked what I saw, too. <laughs>
0: so... Let, let's see. We're gonna try to get through these characters. Yeah. Uh, I, let's, let's go ahead and... Mac is one
1: of the first that starts setting them up. Then we've got the ex-wife, Lori. Lori, we don't get a lot of, really. We don't get a lot of... And to be fair, that's because she was on the original crew and takes a bad hit... When the shark hits the submersible the second time, yeah, like um, shrapnel in her guts, bad hit. But when she comes to, she too is sitting there going, "So you're you're gonna go you're gonna go hit that right?" Meaning Jonah should pursue Suyin.
0: And one of the things I like with Laurie, so first of all, I we don't make a habit of comparing to source material, but this is based off a novel, and. In the novel, Lori is a d- and she is also a reporter who is basically banking on Jonas being crazy. In the movie, she is a competent, skilled, submersible pilot who worked for a environmentalist group that neither shall remain nameless for legal reasons. Literally what they say in the movie. And apparently at one point took out a whaling ship with an improvised torpedo. Allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah, so she's great. Like
1: I said, all of the women are for the company. Uh, which brings us to our, our last main female character, which is Jax, played by Ruby Rose.
0: She is the tech. She the, the The actual line is that she is the person who designed the station. So that means my life is in your hands more or less got a problem with that no you actually seem like you know what you're doing <laughs> which one of the best exchanges in this movie and yeah of course there are so many we'll get to that later
1: we have to touch on morris the billionaire american who's funding this little endeavor who is not quite pure he's billionaire but he's still is, a tool he, he still swings around a billionaire in the end and it gets him killed but he, has, he genuinely feels regret and remorse for the deaths that have occurred because of this project. And he ends up going out and hunting this thing with his little little PMC buddies. And it ends up getting him killed because, well, shark movie.
0: Though you notice one, th- one interesting thing. Hmm. It didn't get any of his buddies killed. No, it didn't. He is the only one, at least he's the only one we see die from that. We yeah. don't see the shark go back after that boat.
1: Yeah, and we've also got The Wall, who is, that's what they call him, The Wall.
0: I am, I am sorry, I'm not going to try to pronounce that actor's name. That would be the very Nordic name? Yes. I
1: thought so. And he is uh, one of the people that was on the Submersible team, he was good friends with Toshi, they had lots of little, little hand gestures that they would make together, you know, like... you know those friends of yours who have the secret handshake that's superly overly stupid, complicated, and has way too many motions. These guys had like four of them.
0: Yeah, these guys were these guys were guys who had spent a lot of time together, knew each other really well, and were buddies.
1: Yeah, and Toshi dying hit him pretty hard, but that's understandable. And I mean, he's a great character. He he's really supplements some of the comedic moments as well and again none of these people are bad at their job none of these characters are bad and i think a great deal of that is owed to the final character i feel we need to touch
0: on there's two more we need to touch on well i'm talking about zhang it's zhang but before we get to zhang heller
1: ah yes heller so heller is the doctor on crew and also was the doctor who diagnosed Jonas in the prologue and basically told everybody Jonas was crazy
0: he was also on the submersible that Jonah. we i'm pretty sure he was on the rescue crew but grim thinks he was on the rescued crew i have to watch it again and check check but pretty sure he was on the rescue crew i've seen it 3 times so it, may, it gives me it makes me the authority that's not how that
1: <laughs> in any case, he told everybody Jonas was crazy and pretty much fueled the decisions that ended Jonas's career. And now he's the medical person on staff on this research station. So he's super thrilled that Jonas was called in, and Jonas is super thrilled he's there. And they have this this prickly moment where they do kind of confront each other a little bit, but not too much because there is a crisis going on and they both recognize they are both man enough to recognize that this crisis needs to be addressed, period. So there's this brief little prickly moment, and then they get back to work. And then when it's confirmed that there is a megalodon, that it's possible for something that size to still exist, Keller walks out and just straight up looks at him and goes,
0: I'm sorry, you were right. Yeah, it's, it's another one of those cases where this could have really gone with the the trope of the antagonistic character who refuses to believe it literally up until they get eaten by the shark, but they don't. He he sees the evidence and goes, well, crap, you were right.
1: I'm sorry. And Jonas has man enough to look him right back and go, finish saving Laurie, and we'll call it even.
0: And then that brings us to Zhang.
1: Zhang is the final important character in this piece. He's the elderly, not super elderly, but older, like 50s,
0: yeah he's 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 Su father,
1: yeah, and he runs the research facility he's the kind of the director there, like Morris is the money, but Zhang is the one in charge, yeah, and he cares about his people, and the fact that he has such a tight-knit crew of competent, skilled individuals, I think is down to his leadership and his careful selection of who he wants on that station.
0: yeah, played expertly by Winston Chow. Who, by the way, would have been fifty-eight years old when this movie released, and
1: he, of course, this is a movie we all know it's coming. He doesn't make it, but his death also isn't isn't completely pointless either. It's a, it's a touching, heartfelt moment where he goes down in the field, not just punked like so many. There's so many of these these movies whether it's disaster genre or shark movie or
0: whatever where the the older mentor figure gets taken out in just the dumbest way because oh it, it the the shark hit the station and something fell and hit him and stabbed him through the heart or something stupid like that yeah
1: whereas in this case he's on a boat that they're using to track the meg to try to take care of it and they succeed and then of course this being a movie there's a bigger shark the bigger shark shows up capsizes the boat and in the 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 capsizing he hits equipment thrown from the ship as he hits the water dealing significant trauma and he doesn't make it back to the station and, and he's not the only
0: one who doesn't make it back to the station touching back on a previous character real quick so a couple well a couple because so this up to this point, the only person that has been killed from the crew is Toshi. Yeah. So up to this point, we haven't lost anyone else. And we, so we get to the point of taking out the first Megalodon. Yeah. And
1: then the second shows up, and in the reveal of the second... We lose the wall. We lose the wall. The ship capsizes. We don't lose Zhang yet, but he does take his his fatal injuries. And... Most of the people land near the boat and are able to get onto the capsized boat to very relative,
0: illusory safety. But Keller and Jax are still in the water. And Jax is freaking out, which, again, there is a Megalodon in the water. Uh, Yeah, you should be freaking out. Yeah, and Keller is... is, is Heller. Heller? Yeah, H E L L E. Okay,
1: Heller. Heller is talking her down. I was like, calm, steady motions, swim back slow, steady, careful, don't panic. And then the dorsal fin surfaces.
0: And she starts freaking out because, you know, they're they're not gonna make it. And Heller, once again, it's just like, you know, just swim back to the boat, go be fine. And starts making an unholy racket. To draw the shark away from Jax.
1: Yeah. Uh, So even though I still don't like Heller as a person, from a narrative film perspective, the character did exactly what he needed to do. He did recant his accusation to Jonas. And he went out saving someone else. Yeah. And while I still don't like him as a person, as a character, I respect it.
0: Yeah. Because again, so many movies in this genre that character would be the one that refuses to acknowledge it, and most of the time it would be when they're finally faced with it, they would end up sacrificing someone else to save their own skin, and then they'd get punked.
1: Yeah, and they'd get punked anyway, yeah. Now, in this instance, he deliberately chose to give himself up so Jax would get back, and Jax does get back, and as she's trembling and still adrenaline-high, fear-high, clinging to the, to the capsized boat, Manages a shaky, heartfelt thanks, Heller. And then has a complete breakdown, which I think is fair. (laughs) Yeah. And so we've got all these really good characters. And ultimately, what makes these
0: characters are character moments. And in a movie, that means one thing. Dialogue. There are some great lines. There's some very, very human elements to this movie. Yeah. We've got
1: the very human... It's, it's the best line in the movie. We agreed on this already. It's the best line in the movie. It's very human, very... So it's worth noting real quick that Jonas and Laurie are not antagonistic exes.
0: Yeah. They, they are amicable. They're amicable.
1: And honestly, it seems like the biggest strain on their relationship isn't their failed marriage, but that Laurie n- didn't, didn't believe Jonas. And it's never really quite made clear if that was a contributing factor to the divorce or if they were already divorced when that went down. Because mac points out that they were only married for like a year that it flamed out horribly and so when she opens the hatch on her damaged submersible and there's her (laughs) ex-husband staring
0: down at her she gets this very resigned of course it's him and then jonas just says tell me this isn't the world's greatest i told you so
1: came all the way out here just to say that to me didn't you a little bit. And it, it really, it's its a its a very human moment. It's one of my favorite moments here. Um, speaking of human moments, we've got Toshi writing a letter in Japanese to his wife, which gets passed to Wall, which gets passed to, I believe, Zhang, but I'm not 100% sure.
0: Which, that does bother me a little bit, because we don't get any resolution to that. We never find yeah. out if the letter actually makes it back to Toshi's wife.
1: I choose to believe it did, but... The media doesn't tell us. Yeah. And that's the problem. Like I said, we've got that really awkward apology scene between Suyin, which was glorious to behold. Then, of course, after she leaves, she leans back over to the
0: porthole to get a peek again because she liked what she saw. And then... Another one of the great lines, when they are going out to tag the shark, you know, Jonas, of course, volunteers to do it because, well, it's, it's Jonas. He's, he's going to do that. And Mac says something to the effect of, you know, are are you sure? Because, you know, if if you want, I can suit up and I can go out and do it. I got this, Mac. Ah, Good. Because I was lying.
1: (laughs) And then a little bit later, when they're gearing up for the major showdown with the first shark, they've got this really nice high-tech cage that Jack's designed using polycarbonate, like, thick enough to stop a bullet. And Jonas, again, is do, gonna, gonna doing the, the, the let me go line, and Suyin cuts him off and says, let me do what I do best.
0: There's another great line around that cage, which is Jonas looks at him, even after it's explained, is like, I don't like it. And the wall is like, he doesn't like it. To which DJ, again, being the only sensible one on the crew, well, I want to get in there. Yeah. That said, to Jax's credit,
1: the cage did exactly as advertised. It did not shatter. It did not and
0: it didn't even actually buckle.
1: No, it deformed a little bit every time it bit in and then it bounced back. And unfortunately though, the fact that it didn't break ended up becoming a problem because it started swallowing the cage. All in all it was great some great moments. While it was the the primary, you know, damsel in distress moment, there was nothing in that sequence that was Suyin's fault it wouldn't have mattered who was in that cage they were going to need a rescue because of what happened
0: yeah and it was also a it was a moment where she did something that was very important and relevant to the story I mean she actually fires the shot that ends up killing the first shark yeah
1: very important like I said this is a very competent intelligent and capable character and this is so is jonas to be clear like it's it's shown repeatedly that jonas is this very capable character but he's not action hero capable even though he's kind of the action hero he's a very believable action hero i mean let's look at a couple of the other things that happen to him uh when he goes down for the first submersible he fast dives And, of course, Mac knows exactly what he's going to do, and it's like, so when you disable the safeties and do this, 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 and go manual, like I know you're going to do, you're going to want to watch out for this, 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 otherwise you're going to pass out. And in command, Heller is, is
0: grumbling about the fact that he's going too fast, he's going to pass out, all this horrible stuff will happen to him. And, of course, Jonas says, tell Heller I'm not slowing
1: down. Tell Heller I'm not slowing down, yep. And as he's going down, this fast dive is absolutely affecting him. Yeah. There would the, be so many other movies that were just like, well, the hero character isn't affected by that.
0: But the pressure changes do have an adverse effect
1: on him. Now, he's got little little bits of training, little tricks he's doing. Like He smacks himself on the back of the head a couple of times to try to re- re-stabilize, re-equalize pressure. There's a few other little little motions and maneuvers. But ultimately... It keeps him from passing out, but he springs a leak. He he comes up bloody at one point. Because pressure differentials are no joke. And...
0: You know, I, I think there's one other thing we got to touch on if we're looking at dialogue and, like, the human moments. Yeah. Insertion.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, right, right at the beginning, when they're sending the submersible down to... You know, to, to see what's underneath the, the the super cold silt layer. They they say they're go for insertion, and Toshi just says insertion and giggles. Yep. And of course, Laurie makes some remark
1: about you know is everything about sex with you guys, and they have this little spiel. I don't remember all of it. You know, sex, something, power, and money, and money. Yep. And they do one of their little little hand gestures together,
0: and then Lori sh- shows that she is also on board here and 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 save and and not. She she is not the matu- she's the mature adult, but she's not that mature. Yeah. Because she says, "All right, we're 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 going to we're going to insertion now," proceeding with a bit of a smirk to. For-
1: She gives, like, this little bit of pause and smirk, insertion, and then, of course, Toshi in the
0: wall, giggle in the background again, Yeah, because they're 12.
1: Yeah, and it's worth noting that these three, despite being our, our first, well, kind of our first damsel in distress here, they're also very competent and capable, and they managed to get their submersible back online basically without any of the appropriate equipment to do so because they were supposed to just go down, take a couple of pictures, and come back up, basically. So, I mean, there's one part of that sequence where to get everything booted back up, wall is down there with naked cables sparking things to get bypass and reconnect and get power back up. Like, these are competent, capable people, but they're also snickering and making insertion
0: jokes. And there, that scene also is the first place where we see that characters in this movie are genre savvy. Because as soon as they get the power back up, Lori's like, wait, kill the lights.
1: Yeah. Not quite fast enough, but she, she, she clocks it moments before. And that brings us to another moment where these characters are shown off as very intelligent. Specifically, again, Jonas and Suyin. Where they get the first shark, and they're looking at, and they're you know because they're taking pictures to document it, and all of a sudden he looks at the at the viewfinder on the camera, frowns at Celia and goes, "Hey, bite
0: pattern." Because this is after the shark attacked the station, and bit the, the clear polycarbonate ring and left a giant bite pattern on the. The, the ring that was visible. Yeah. So they're looking at the at the, the mouth of the, the Meg that they killed. Like, that doesn't seem big enough for the bite pattern on the ring. At which point, the second shark is immediately revealed. Yeah. So they didn't spend time building up the, oh, is there a second one? But it also doesn't completely come out of nowhere because we're given a couple of indicators.
1: Yeah. And... The second one is the one that really does most of the rampaging. Yeah. And it's no joke. And a lot of the sequence and a lot of the previous sequences give us some stunning visuals. We've got amazing aquatic vistas. I mean, the stuff shown off under that cold silt layer
0: is gorgeous. Yeah. This movie is one that was well worth seeing on the big screen because the visuals are just the visuals are stunning. I don't know how accurate they are, but they are gorgeous. They are absolutely
1: gorgeous. And a couple of quick points to touch on before we before we
0: wrap up here, I think. Uh,
1: first, the dog lives.
0: Yeah. So there is a, a, a scene near the end where there's a wedding boat. The dog jumps in the water and is paddling around, happy as a little dog can be, and sees the shark, and the dog sees the shark off in the distance, Whines and turn around and start paddling back to the boat, which is just an amusing little scene. And we cut to the shark going towards the boat, and then we cut away. So we're left to think that the shark hits the boat,
1: and thus the dog. And then in the final wrap-up of the main climax, where they kill the Meg, it turns out the ship that rescues them... Is that wedding boat. Is the wedding boat, and they also pick up the dog on their way. So everybody's fine, including the dog. Including the dog. And the movie does address... One other final plot point I want to touch on real quick here is the movie does address... Again, this is a genre-savvy movie. The fact that no authorities step in. First, nobody gets called in sooner because Morris lies to the crew about having already called... And then, you know, dies trying to kill the thing himself. And then when the crew try to call in themselves, they basically get, uh, there's a a throwaway line about them getting laughed away because talking about a prehistoric shark just reads prank. Yeah. And there's so many other movies that don't address that because there's so many of these movies, I'm just sitting there going, why haven't you called in somebody
0: by now? Like... Yeah, and so one of the things to touch on really quick is one of the things that is a major factor in this movie to problems is human stupidity.
1: Yeah, never underestimate the capacity for human stupidity to make things worse. Why was everybody in the water during the climax? Because a news trapper pilot wasn't paying attention to his job flying the news chopper and crashed into another news chopper and then the wreckage lands on the boat they were on
0: and sets the boat they were on on fire which that little bit of actually is taken directly out of the book by the way which is also the only place where helicopters get destroyed despite the fact that a trope of shark movies is a shark jumping out of the water to grab a aircraft and there are two occasions where it's set up that they could have done that. And I was kind of sad they didn't do it, but it also is a little bit more realistic that the shark didn't jump out of the water to kill the helicopters. Yeah, the fact that the shark didn't jump out of the water... Now, to be fair, I
1: was expecting it, but it didn't happen. And I personally think that because it didn't happen, it helped made the movie better. Because, again, I, am not un- I like
0: a shark movie that's not a shark movie. You're right, it made the movie better, but I'm still disappointed they didn't do it because it's just a hilarious scene I love.
1: It was almost the perfect shark movie. Almost? Yeah.
0: Alright, I want to take
1: a moment to address John Turtletob, the director of this film. I'm talking to you directly because I'm sure you're listening to this.
0: Uh, if you are, we would actually love to hear from you. Fuck you, John Turtletaub! Uh, Fuck I- you! On second thought, uh, don't email us, please. <laughs> you end the credits with Finn? Really? That's it for this week. Thank you for listening to Two Idiots and a Dog. If you like what we do, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Media.
1: That's T-I-A-A-D Media, all one word. If you want to send kaiju fan mail or reach out to the idiots for anything, you can email us at t-i-a-a-d-media at
0: gmail.com Again, that is t-i-a-a-d-media at gmail.com You can also join us on Discord. Links can be found on Patreon, in our email signature, and on our SoundCloud page. We would also like to give a special thank you to all of our patrons on Patreon. Especially these idiots. Random Warrior and Rain
1: If you want to hear your name included here, you can support us at the Honorary Idiot Tier on Patreon.